All right, uh, well, welcome everybody. My name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. Uh, and special welcome if you are a, a first time guest joining us today. We are so happy that you are here. There is one thing before I get into uh, the message that I just wanted to cover one more announcement, if you will. And they left it to me because I am the youth pastor. So, uh, Summerfest is coming up. It is less than two weeks away, and there are only, I believe, 14 spots left. So, our, our max capacity is 138. We have filled that thing up, which is going to be so amazing for our kids. So, if you have a student, if you have a kid, a grandkid, someone in that 7th to 12th grade range that has not signed up for Summerfest. This is our biggest event of the year. The cost is $210, okay? It's July 7th through the 10th. Uh, you are responsible for transportation, but we take care of everything else. We feed them uh, both food and Jesus. We play lots of games. It's, a, it's just, it's our biggest event and I think one of the best experiences for, uh, for our youth who really need that uh, that, that, that extra helping of Jesus in their life just because of what they're experiencing in school and uh, on social media and everything else. So make sure you do get your students signed up for that before it is too late. Okay, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out swinging a little bit here on this sermon, and this isn't meant to be uh, a, a, an official political statement or uh, it's not meant to be my personal, I'm not sharing my own personal beliefs, but I do find it a little bit crazy that this week happened to be the week that the Supreme Court made this uh, monumental decision, right? And, and the reason for that is because this week we are, are talking about this underlying biblical principle that really is the driving force behind the pro-life movement. Now, uh, Pastor Ross, he, he recently shared this, this story with us about a book that he's, he, he's reading, and it's about this Christian who, who came from a Hindu cultural background, but he's working with the peasants in native India, and he's, working, uh, he's doing economic development with them. And there happens to be this family there who has uh, a, a, young, a young girl uh, who has become terminally ill. And it's clear that without treatment, she's, she's, going to, she's going to pass away. And so this Christian tries to convince the family to, to get her help, to take her to see the doctor, and they, they deny, they refuse at first. Uh, but he eventually he convinces them to, to take her to the doctor. And so she goes in, she receives the, the treatment that she needs, she begins to be healthy and eat, and she's, she's thriving. But unfortunately, when she goes back home, her, her body immediately begins to fail again, and, and, and she starts fading away. And it becomes clear that this family doesn't really care whether she lives or dies. And not only that, the people of the village join in and say it would probably be better if she did die because she's going to be a burden on your family if she continues to live. Well, the family agrees, and so they, they begin to just completely neglect her, and she passes away. So it's clear that in this culture, their worldview does not take into account the value and dignity of human life. Now, what's amazing is, is it was really the same in, in ancient Greece and in Rome. If a child was, was born unwanted, they were left out in the street. They were left out in the elements to die. And even if we look at a, a little more close to home, a little more current situation, we look at, at, at the, the war in Ukraine. And isn't it amazing how they're, they're at war the whole concept, they're, they're killing one another, right? One side is pushing an agenda, trying to force an agenda on someone. The other side is, is killing people to save their own lives, to protect themselves. But there's rules. I always find that so intriguing that there's rules to, to war. Literally, like, war should be, there's, there's no rules, right? And so we end up, we, we get upset when there's civilian casualties, Right, because they're the innocent bystanders. We get upset because we understand that lives matter. Our gut reaction in war says that that is a crime of war, 
when civilians lose their life. And so the question is, why do some cultures value human life more than others? Why does our society insist that every person possesses basic rights just because they're, they're human beings? Why do we care about child abuse and, and, and elderly abuse? Why do we care about sex trafficking and, and, and equal justice for all? Why do we care about those things? And, and the reason, whether you know it or not, is that our ethics are rooted in biblical truth. Whether you know that or not, like our ethics are rooted in biblical truth. So when it comes to, to human beings, the, the core ethic in the Bible is that every man, every woman, every child is valuable. Every single one of them. Because the, the truth is people, people matter. Okay, people matter. And that's, that's one of the first principles to understand when we begin pursuing God. And so uh, in, in week one of this, this series, we talked about how, how God wants to be found by us. God wants to be in relationship with us, right? No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, God wants to be in relationship with us and he's just waiting for us to start that relationship. He took the first step and he's just waiting for us to accept him into our life. And last week we talked about how, how we know we can trust the Bible, how we, how we know that it, it's true, how we know that it's valid in our lives today, thousands of years after it was written, how we know that it's actually God's word speaking into our life. And, and, and today we're focusing on how people matter and specifically how people matter to God and, and so then how they should matter to us. So if you're beginning your pursuit of God, this is, uh, this is a very foundational concept, okay? And it, and it will affect every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life will be affected by this. And if you're in the place where you've been Christian for a while and, and, you're, and you're really trying to, to help others pursue God, this will uh, affect how you see and how you relate to other people. It will, it, it, you'll begin to see how and, how and why God is bringing people across your path. You will look at people differently. And it all starts at the, at the beginning of the Bible when God created everything, including human beings. See, the Bible teaches uh, that human beings are created, that is not the correct slide, all right, sorry, here we go. Uh, human beings are created in the image of God, okay, imago Dei, and therefore they are worthy of dignity and respect. Let me, I think it's this one, there we go. Okay, and imago Dei is, is just, it's the Latin way of saying the image of God. And we can see where that comes from in the, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now, as we read that and we see that it says, let us make human beings in our image. Okay, just, I have to make this clear because it is what it is today. Those are not God's pronouns. God does not identify as us and our. Okay, so uh, this is talking specifically about the Trinity, right? God is three in one. And that's what, what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. So that's just a side note, just to be clear on this. But there is an interesting change of wording in this verse than from the rest of creation. Okay, I don't have slides for the rest of these. But in verse 14, it says, let the lights appear in the sky. In verse 20, it says, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. In verse 24, it says, let the earth produce every sort of animal. But in verse 26, when it comes time to create human beings, God says, let us make human beings in our image. It suddenly becomes more, more personal for God. Human beings are different than the rest of creation simply by how God approaches our creation. 
Okay, we are marked off, we are different from the rest of creation as the only beings who are made in God's image. No other beings are made in God's image. The fish, the birds, the the creatures, angels who are also created by God were not made in God's image. Human beings are the only beings made in God's image. Now this word doesn't refer to a, a physical likeness. Okay, this isn't saying that we look like God, like we're a mirror image uh, 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 of God. It's not teaching that God is uh, an exalted human. Okay, the, the Bible clearly teaches that God is spirit. Okay, God is not physical. God is not a material being. God is spirit. So it's, it, 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 the, what it's teaching is that humans, we reflect certain elements of God's attributes. Because as humans, we have the capacity to think. We have, we have the ability to, to reason. We can, we can create, okay? Not in the way God created. God created from nothing. He spoke into existence, right? We don't, have, we don't have that same ability, but we have the ability we can imagine, we can design, we can invent, we can, we can build, okay? We have emotions. We have the ability to make choices. We can be in relationship, okay? We're not infinite. We're not perfect like God, we're not part of God, we're not divine with, within ourselves, but we're, we're different from every other creation. We're different from every other creation. So the implication is that every human being is worthy of, of dignity and respect from the time they are conceived until the time that they die. When you look into the eyes of another human being, no matter what their outward circumstances happen to be, you are looking in the face of a creature of infinite worth because they were created in the image of God. There are no uh, superior, there are no inferior classes, okay? There aren't some people who count and some who, who don't. Every single one of us is made in the image of God. And so let's, let's talk about what that means, because really, Imago Dei is the basis for blessing all of humanity, even those who stand against a biblical worldview. See, it's so easy to, to slip into a, a, an us versus them mentality when there's people who, who aren't like us, when there's people who dis- disagree with us, okay? But even, even people who reject God are still made in his image. And this should be the basis for how we look at people, how we look at human life. Okay, our founding fathers, they, they understood this. They wrote, they wrote this into the Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, now we, this isn't scripture. We understand that this isn't scripture, but it reflects this underlying biblical truth. That human rights come from the creator. Not from our government, not from uh, some popular social consensus. Because the truth is, if there is no God, then human beings are not made in his image. Which means that we are just, just random products of, of chance. And if that's the case, then there is no rational basis for guaranteeing anyone's rights. Logically, we should be like nature, right? Where it's just survival of the fittest. Only the, only the powerful should have any privilege in society. Which is interesting because until the Bible showed up on the scene, that's, that's how humanity acted. But let's look at how the Bible actually supports this this quote from the Declaration of Independence. Let's look at life. Why do humans have this unalienable right to life? Genesis 9-6 says this, If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. 
This is why for 2,000 years, Christians have opposed euthanasia. Christians have opposed leaving children on the streets to die, like we talked about before. Christians have opposed abortion. That, that unborn child is a human being made in God's image, and it needs legal protection because it can't protect itself. That's why Christians have supported that. That's why Christians have led the way in clean water and medical services. Okay, countless lives have been saved by what Christians are, are doing in underdeveloped countries because people matter. Every single life matters. What about liberty? Genesis 2, 16 says this, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. See, God gave Adam and Eve free will, okay? He gave them the ability to, to make choices. He didn't make them robots. He didn't just leave them to their, their animal instinct, right? Liberty, just to be clear, is not do whatever you want without circumstances, okay? That's the, or, or without consequences. That's not what liberty means, okay? That we just do whatever we want and there's no consequences. But as humans, we have the capacity to consider the consequences, something that no other creation has. Okay, we can think about what's going to result from our choices and our actions, and we can make decisions accordingly. And doing that, that's how we reflect the image of God. Okay, God has the ability to, to choose. And if we look at the last thing, the pursuit of happiness, right? The Bible is full of stories that remind us that God's purpose for us is to have a joyful life. That was God's purpose for us. Philippians 4.4 4 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, Rejoice. See, God is capable of joy, and the Bible says that he rejoices over us. God rejoices over us, his, his, his creation. In his image, we are created for joy, just like he is. We have the capacity for, for happiness. We have the capacity for well-being. Right? The Old Testament calls this shalom. Shalom, right? When, you, when your life is, is whole and satisfying, like life is good right now. Shalom. This is the basic part of, of the Christian worldview is that every human life is valuable. Humans have this, this fundamental right. We have the capacity to experience goodness in life. And the reason is because we are uniquely made in the image of God. This means that every single human being, okay, without exception, even if you're not Christian, even if you don't believe in God, this status applies to you simply by being God's human creation. And it's not just the people who are like you. It's not just the, the people who agree with you, okay? Even, even the people who are most opposed to your values and your beliefs, even the people who don't believe in God are still made in the image of God. See, a pursuit of God, it, it changes how we look at human beings and, and how we look at human existence. And it doesn't just change our, our attitude or our perspective, okay? It changes everything about us. It changes how we live. Imago Dei, it gives us a, a definite purpose in life, to love God, to love others, and to love ourselves. When you embrace this, this, this truth that you are made in, in, in the image of, of God, it, it changes how we view our existence, okay? It, it changes how you, you see yourself, and this, this, it changes your purpose in life, and it's going to shape those three key relationships, Okay, it'll change how you relate to God. It will change how you relate to other people. It will change how you relate to yourself. 
Jesus says this in, in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we see all three of these basic relationships in here. Jesus says to love the Lord your God. He says to love your neighbor. And then he says to, to love your, your neighbor as you love yourself. And so let's start, let's look at those. Let's start at the bottom and, and work our way up, right? He says to love yourself. Now Jesus isn't talking about taking a, a narcissistic view of yourself, thinking that you're better than other people. Okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He wants us to see that we, he wants us to make sure that we have a proper understanding of our worth to God. How valuable we are to God. And then Luke puts this in perspective a little bit. Luke uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. He says, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Because you're made in God's image, you matter. Okay, you matter to God. First of all, God knows you so deeply. He uses this idea of, of, of numbering every hair on your head to show how valuable, to show how well he knows you. And every time we talk about this infusion, the you students think it's funny that I'm bald, that I have no hair, right? And here's the thing, you guys, like the reality is God gave very few of us well-shaped heads so that we didn't have to have hair. See what I'm saying? All you people with hair, you need it. So there. So God values us, and he uses this idea of, of comparing us to the sparrows. And second, he talks about how, how, how valuable we are. Sparrows were a dime a dozen, right? They were a dime a dozen. They still are a dime a dozen. And Jesus says God knows every sparrow he has ever created. And how much more does he know you? How much more valuable are you than even a flock of sparrows? See, but the lie of the world is that you are worthy because of your accomplishments. You are worthy because of your possessions, because of your beauty, because of your followers. That's what the world wants us to believe, that that's where our value comes from. But the Bible says that you have unmeasurable value and worth. And this isn't in comparison to anybody else. God says every single one of us are equally valuable. So I want you guys to see that. I want you guys to realize and acknowledge your value. I want you to feel positive about yourself. Because when it's for the right reasons, that's a good thing. So we love ourselves. And then he talks, we love others. Okay, And this is why love for self is never at the expense uh, of others. We never elevate ourselves uh, above others because they too are made in the image of God. They too are just as valuable as we are. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Spouses. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now this, this definition of, of love doesn't come naturally. Right, it doesn't come naturally. This isn't an easy way to live. So, so what drives this? What gets us there? And, and, and what gets us there, it has to be when we come to see that person as God sees them. When we come to see other people as God sees them, as an image bearer of God. 
And then even the most unlovely, unlovable, unloving person in your life, they also bear God's image. Now, I, I'm sure all of us have noticed, right, it's, it's Pride Month, and I know that, that that rubs a lot of conservative Christians the wrong way, okay? And I don't, I don't personally embrace the Pride agenda. I don't agree with the majority of sexual ethics that are common in our culture today. And the reason is, is because I believe that God gives us the definition. I believe that God is the ultimate authority on sexuality. And he's told us exactly what it looks like. He's told us what it is. He wrote about it. He spoke about it in his Bible. But you know what else he said? He said, love your neighbor. And he said, love is patient and love is kind. And so when we want to debate, when we want to have conversations with people who disagree with us, especially on hot topics, we have to remember that that person is made in God's image. And it's not an easy thing to do. That's not, and and I, in fact, I have to pull myself away sometimes because I struggle, even as a pastor. That person is also made in God's image. See, when we love people that it's not natural for us to love, we reflect God's image in ourselves because God is love. So we love ourselves, we love others, and then we have a love for God. See, the animals and, and all other creatures, they don't have the capacity to love God because they weren't made in his image. But you and I do. We do have the capacity to, to, to love God. We can reflect Jesus' love for the Father. We can reflect the Father's love for his Son by loving God ourselves. And this is our greatest purpose, to love God That's the greatest purpose that we have been given, is to love God. And we can talk a lot about what that means, but in the Bible, it means taking delight in him. It means having faith and being loyal to him. And one of the most important expressions of our love for God is to obey him, okay, to obey God. 1 John 5, 3 says this, loving God means keeping his commandments, lost it, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, we keep his commandments and we don't look at him like, oh my gosh, I hate doing this. Right? His commandments are not a burden in our life. See, animals, they can only obey us because of conditioning. Right? Like you can train your dog to obey your commands using systems of, of positive and negative reinforcement. But that's the only way. As, as human beings, we're made in God's image and so we have independent will. We can choose to express our love for him by doing what pleases him. And we can choose that every single day. Every single day is new. Every single day we have new grace from God. And so we have this opportunity to put our trust and our faith in God and his word and what he said. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full. There's so much that that God wants us to experience in this life. But his greatest purpose for us is to have joy in him. And so think about what he did for us when he sent his son, his most valuable, his most precious possession to earth. To live this completely sinless life, this perfect, humble, 33 years without a, without a sin. And then he allowed himself to be captured and go through this sham of a trial and to be tortured and mocked and spit on and beaten and whipped and ultimately hung on a cross and murdered for us, for our sins. Our sins put him there. And so why should we have joy? Because God says, I'm going to make a way that you won't be stuck in your sin. I'm going to make a way 
for you to be free, for you to be forgiven. And it's through my son and what he does on the cross. And when we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we can have joy. We can understand that there's more to life than what we're dealing with today, than the hurt and the pain and the trials that we're going through today. Yeah, they can be hard, they can hurt, but they're temporary. And we can ultimately find comfort and joy in what God did. And this is who you are. Every single one of us, we are bearers of the divine image of God. And so I hope that you can begin to see yourself as God sees you. I hope that you can begin to see other people as as God sees them. Because this tells us who the people around us are. It tells us how to treat them with dignity and, and, and with respect. Like people who have infinite value. Like people who actually deserve dignity and respect. People who have worth because they are made in God's image. Now, the reality is we don't, we don't all do a good job of loving God or, or loving others very well, right? Not all the time, at least. We're, we're a lot better at being selfish. We're a lot better at treating others with less than, than dignity and, and, and respect. We don't always want to obey God, or sometimes we want to obey God, but we just don't. And that's, that's, that's really because there's another fundamental quality of human beings. There's, there's two sides to the human coin. Yes, we were made in God's image, and we have value, we have dignity, we have worth, but the other side of that coin is that we are also fallen into sin. And we live in a broken world. And so that's what we're going to focus on next week. So I hope that you guys will come back next week and join us as we continue on in this series. But let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you for, for this series. God, I thank you for the pursuit. Because every single one of us, God, are pursuing something in this life. And God, I hope that that we can, if, if you aren't at the top of that pursuit list, God, if you aren't our number one priority, God, I hope that we can make that change.